Hello everyone and welcome again to Wednesday Night Live. My name is Ron Crawford and I am the pastor of the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas. It's a great blessing to be able to reach out to my congregation. Hello everybody. As well as to those that are part of our extended Saints Network family. Um, it's good to be able to share the word of the Lord together on this first Wednesday in the month of August. Can you believe that we are, we somehow made it through <laughs> this unusual COVID, this COVID-19 onslaught and the various measures of unrest that have been uh, visiting upon our country and other nations in the world. And but here we are under the covering of the blood and moving powerfully forward in so many new ways for, uh, the, for the will of our Heavenly Father. And uh, I want to give you the opportunity to pull up the outline that should be available to you. Our message today is entitled, The Stand, and we declare the covering of our Lord Jesus Christ over this topic and declare the blood of Jesus over what we're going to be discussing because it has to do with the strategy of our enemy. And um, I think that we need to remember what the Apostle Paul said, that we are not ignorant of, his, of the enemy's devices. And I, I can tell you that our enemy is doing his very, uh, his very best, if you can use that for him, is pressing the advantage to the, to the most, the highest degree to try to stop what God has ordained and to prohibit you and me from flowing in what we're supposed to be accomplishing in this year of wisdom. We're going to prevail through the name of our Lord, and we don't fear or glorify the enemy, but then on the other hand, we want to be apprised of what the scriptures say so that we can do our best through the power of the word to to prevail. Um, one of the enemy's very, one of the enemy's most effective maneuvers is to confuse or to deceive. And um, he loves to get people to either abandon the word of God or to, to absolutely avoid the proper understanding of what the word says. And we recognize this in the book of Genesis when the serpent came to Eve and Eve and said, uh, hath, has God said? And then in the wilderness temptation with our Lord, the enemy came at him with scripture and the Lord answered with scripture. And so you can bind and rebuke all day long, but if you're not skilled in what the word has said to where you are not being deceived by the enemy uh, chances are you are going to go into the battle with uh, a major deficit 
And I believe in the power and the protection of our God, yes. But if Jesus, if Jesus, the anointed Son of God and Son of Man, had to deal with the enemy by virtue of the Scripture, who are we that would say, well, you know, I don't really need to do that. Um, we, we've got to be wise. And so, in this past year leading up to this point, lead, this year leading up to this point, I've been keenly aware of not, not only by the circumstances that are prevailing in our country and the situations that are manifesting themselves almost daily, but just in the atmosphere of the Spirit, I've been keenly aware of a, uh, a new type of enemy agenda. And um, it's, it's been one that has absolutely been, um, well, I, I would say malicious, but it, I would say anything I say here, I'm not giving license to the enemy to do, but you have to be descriptive. You have to call it like it is. So I not, I'm not giving the enemy any, any inroad to do anything, but whatever it is that he's been doing has been really effective. It's been strategic and essentially it builds off of what we studied a few weeks ago from the book of Ezekiel about when the enemy fell and how iniquity was found in him and how iniquity Abel or Ewell is really a sense of unfairness unjustness and that's the heart of evil and Really, it's the heart of iniquity. It's the heart of every kind of foible, whether it's unforgiveness or bitterness. All of those things and more stem from this iniquity that was first found in the enemy. And we've talked about this before, but I know that some of you may be hearing this message for the first time. Some of you may need a reminder, so this is not the essence of what we're going to be talking about today, but it bears repeating at the onset. See, the way the enemy can convince people to follow him is through deception or confusion or ignorance, but he will try to find something in us that we feel we've been wronged in or some kind of an injustice some kind of an unfairness through our perception people did us wrong or they didn't do us right or we were passed over or they're holding me back or they're just doing this or they're doing that I know what that feels like every human being has had to encounter things like that. And usually, 
people respond to that type of thing in a negative way that is either pride or or um, rebellion or unforgiveness or bitterness or malicious intent or lust or you know all of those things are based off of that terrible dimension of existence that the enemy ushered in and um, you see God continually in the Bible encouraging his people to look past that type of thing and as they do there's breakthrough you see David who was treated unjustly in so many ways in his life just think about it you know his father Jesse has him out in the field David conceived iniquity even when the prophet comes to to anoint the new king his father didn't think enough of him to bring him in that's you could have a complex over that couldn't you if you let yourself and then he slays Goliath he gets the, uh, Saul's daughter as his wife and Saul wants to kill him Saul is jealous of him now David was not completely innocent in all of that nothing in life is is totally one-sided you know except for the love of God but um, the uh, the thing is David could have uh, when men of Belial rose up against him and wanted to stone him David had to encourage himself in the Lord and point by point by point throughout his life he had to deal with the measure of injustice what about Samuel the great prophet seer of Israel you know he was a miracle baby but as soon as he was weaned his mom lent him to the Lord at Shiloh with a corrupted priesthood Samuel could have had a, a separation complex you know it, it could have been terrible what about Old Testament Joseph um, his brothers tell his father he's dead sell him into slavery he goes into Egypt he's falsely accused thrown in the slammer then you know he's there and he does something mighty for someone and they forget about him you know all of these things are injustice and you either overcome them or you're overcome by them we have to recognize this the enemy's merchandise his currency is injustice and you have to forgive or your father in heaven will not forgive you what does that mean see you think about that and you think uh oh this must be something really bad for God's forgiveness not to cover it well, what does it really mean it's because God does not register that measure of um, perceived injustice and if you're functioning in that you're functioning in the realm of the enemy who rebelled against God and God doesn't translate that he says vengeance is mine says the Lord I will repay 
Boy, that's a difficult pill for us as humans to swallow. Because some of you, I know, have really endured some difficult things in your life. But yet, God has been with you. And God blessed you. And um, it's almost like when we, when we turn our backs on our own measures of perceived injustice or things that we feel we've been done wrong in, number one, we are turning our backs on the enemy. And number two, we are offering that as a devoted point of obedience and sacrifice to God. And if anybody was mistreated on earth, it was the Lord Jesus. I mean, he took, he was bruised for our iniquities. He received blows to his body, to his mind, to his spirit, bruising from those who wanted to do him wrong when he came to redeem them. And that is the key for us overcoming iniquity. If we give place to it and all we talk about is how we've done wrong, we're going to we're going to not be walking in the favor of the Lord. We're going to be damning ourselves and we're not going to be someone that other people want to be around. And so all of this is born about by the enemy. Now you could take it another step. You could say, well, because he accepted this into his thinking then he created scenarios where angels fell with him and he really brought about all of the kites of responses to, um, to injustice that are sin and wickedness. And then it's kind of like an endless cycle that that perceived injustice brought about these terrible actions. These terrible actions brought about scenarios where people could feel as if they were done wrong, and they might have been. And then they, cre- they, they react with other things that are malicious. And then that then sets an atmosphere, and it's, it's kind of like a cycle of demonic ways. So we see in our world today and have seen for a number of years everybody's got something everybody's got a story everybody feels put down and so instead of moving in the divine way of overcoming and overcoming evil with good they have to make their cause known and then there has to be people acting out on it this has always been the way it is with people and somebody's hearing this right now and they're getting triggered by it because they're woke and they're thinking I'm racist for saying these things. No, I'm not. These things have been going on for as long as um, the enemy has rebelled. Cain slew Abel. You know, he took up an injustice, slammed his brother in the head with a rock. And it's just gone on and on and on. And so this is nothing new. You may think you've come upon the greatest thing since sliced bread. Guess what? The enemy's been playing these same tricks for centuries. You're just the latest. And 
we must recognize that we are spiritual beings and we have the obligation to serve our God and to walk in forgiveness and to walk in the fullness of what he wants. You know, we could all sit down and talk about all the ways we've been unjustly treated. I've got a whole list of them. But, and you know what? As much as I put them under the blood and try to forget them, toss them in that sea of forgetfulness, somehow they just crop back up again. And you have to keep putting them down. And because if you don't, you'll be overcome by them. So um, I've noticed that in this latest season, in this year of wisdom, where the enemy has really come with some unique ways, what I've determined is happening is that there are times, and we're going to see this in the scripture, at significant moments where the enemy himself will stand. Um, for the most part, he, he is, I would dare say, haughty, and he has other beings and people doing his dirty work for him and he uh, he doesn't he doesn't take kindly to having to engage in anything unless he just wants to and um, you know that's why when we talk about the the council of seven the seven more wicked those principalities that are clearly listed in the scripture Satan is not one of them because he he rules them but he he will take a stand at crucial and significant times and when you see him do this it's always with this heightened false anointing to provoke rebellion or to provoke some measure of it perceived injustice and that is a fuel that burns most hot in the world system. <clears throat> um, yeah, that's why sometimes when you see revolutions, there, there are just causes, but and people want to see change, and that should happen. God will partner with you in that. But as soon as it becomes personal, and as soon as it becomes, I'm getting even, as soon as it becomes, I'm going to get my share now, it becomes a violent thing, and it, um, it, it then begins to fuel in ways that are not right. You look, you look, yeah, we could go through history. One of the ones that leaps to mind because we spend so much time in France is when the people in France, and I'm, this is just a thumbnail sketch. This is not our message. So don't accuse me of not knowing French history. I'm just mentioning this. Um, the, the court of Versailles had lost touch with the people. People were hungry. They were being deprived of many basic necessities. And finally, they said, this is enough. There has to be a change. But then they just, many of them just became 
wicked. And the whole the whole business in the Place de la Concorde where the guillotine was set up and all kinds of men, women, and even younger people were having their heads cut off to a screaming crowd. And the big march toward the through the Tuileries where the mountain of humanism was built and God was being denounced and you know we're going to set up a new thing well it it was a new thing but it was in so many ways more wicked than the thing they were replacing and then that set the vacuum for Napoleon to ride in and and with all of his generalship the uh, the things that really were not in the best interest of the country themselves but you see it in the the the, the Bolshevik uh, rebellion in, in, in Russia in murdering the Tsar and his family after treating them most horribly and you see all kinds of revolutions that occur that are accompanied by just wicked actions where people begin with an idea of freedom and then it becomes the vanquishing of their perceived injustice and the proponents of that injustice and then there's a lot of wicked works and it's it's really a not a beautiful sight and so you see God in this year telling us that he was going to make tremendous strides and he is in this year of wisdom and whenever God begins to do a thing the enemy comes in and he stands against whatever it is at the very beginning of what God's doing. He stands against what God is wanting to do. And there you gain your test as to whether you're going to go forward with God or whether you're going to succumb mainly to this business of distractions, urgencies, emergencies, and some measure of injustice in your life. So... Um, when you when you see God moving in a mighty way <clears throat> or prophesied to be beginning a mighty move you you will probably see the enemy stand and you will see this saturation of injustice and perceived injustice and that is like a narcotic a demonic narcotic and it it fuels a lot of other things, but it um, exacerbates them. It 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 heightens them. It's it's um, it's it's just you can feel it, and, and uh, the disdain of the enemy and this fueling of injustice really is prevalent in, prevalent in our land. Now again. I am not saying that there should not be reform. I'm not saying that there should not be um, measures of us moving forward and upward. Our country has made great strides in that over the years. Not as quickly as we should in a number of ways, but you know, there's a reason that millions and millions of people want to come here to live every year. And we receive more immigrants than any other country by far every year and if you listen to some networks they think oh this country's just so awful we won't let poor this poor helpless people in 
we take in more than more well over a million people every year what 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 do you want us to do i mean it's there's always some measure some slant of injustice and it can become wicked so quickly so quick so quickly wicked and um it's satanic and so uh, several months ago uh i told this i sensed an influence just sweep into the sanctuary and suddenly i began to think all kinds of thoughts that were really seemingly my own protestings of things that were not right and things that we lacked and things why we lacked them and you know and and i thought what is this and i had to fight it um and and these weren't things that i'm normally thinking yeah i'm aware of them but you 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 overcome you improvise you, you life is always overcoming in the lord and um that's how you gain the victory of the lord walking through him with through it with him so and you know i found that this kind of a thing is, is that the enemy will look for a place where he can gain an advantage seeks what he may devour but this mindset um this mindset will never take yes for an answer i know we often say well i'm not going to take no for an answer this mindset won't take yes for an answer because if it ever got what it wanted it would cease to exist and it will always find something more that it that it wants you know show me the man i'll find you the crime it will always have to have something to keep it fueling so no matter what you give or however you respond it's not going to satiate the problem because the problem is as old as the enemy even after the enemy will be enslaved for a thousand years in the millennial reign when he comes out <clears throat> the people that are living on earth he'll find something they'll follow him as the sands of the sea so you can never placate this the only thing you can do is put it under the blood submit it to god and overcome so you hear all these folks today who have agendas if you gave them everything they wanted they'd want more uh, can ever take yes for an answer and so you just do your best and put down this measure of self-pity and you overcome and you overcome with good <clears throat> and so i see in the scripture many instances of at turning point moments in the kingdom of god the enemy will take a stand and again a lot of people think you know flip wilson used to say the devil made me do it but the enemy is not going to be bothered he's got demons and a well-structured kingdom that jesus identified as a kingdom and he tries to rule over that he he does not like to be bothered it's below him but at crucial junctures in the timetable of god the scripture identifies that he takes a stand and when that happens it 
it injects into the environment a satanic measure of iniquity based upon unforgiveness, injustice, perceived wrongdoing. And it will find, if you let it, a place. And not only does it come, but it seems to enliven the whole core of the enemy structure. So you just need to know that. One of the first ones we're going to look at on your sheet there is uh, 1 Chronicles 21, verse 1. And it says, Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. And you remember what happened after that. I'm not, I don't, we've got a long lesson here, and half the time is already gone. But God was not pleased with this. When Satan, Ahmad, that means that it, you, you come and you take a position. You take a, literally a stand, and where you take a stand is based upon your strengths and at what you believe is a crucial juncture point to block or to hinder what God is wanting to do. Now, you know that David was ordained by God and called to lead the people of God into a point of temple identity and tabernacle function. And we've taught on this many times, but the tabernacle of David set the stage for the structure of the temple. David was always talking about building the house for the Lord. But then when Solomon was moving on behalf of temple construction, he took the template of prayer of his father and began to say from this temple, let tabernacles go forth, which is why he needed wisdom. So, you know, it has been said that the tabernacle of David was different than the tabernacle of Moses. That's true. Um, David was more of a praise people. Uh, he, he would focus on loving the Lord and seeking after revelation from God and walking the people as intercessors and worshipers through um, through uh, measures of overcoming in the sila, whereas Gibeon had the sacrifices going on, David had the sacrifices of praise. But that's not all there is with the tabernacle of David, because that tabernacle of David led the establishment of the temple, that, um, that Ark of the Covenant, which was going to be in the tabernacle of David, was moved into the temple, and that temple then was the place of sacrifice. Right now, the Ark of the Covenant is in the tabernacle of the, the temple of the Tabernacle of Testimony in heaven. The Bible clearly says it there. It's not in a box in Washington after Indiana Jones found it. And the only sacrifice there is outside the temple where it's our intercession, the incense of the Lord, uh, the incense of the saints for the work of God. So, David was supposed to be setting this up, and the enemy knew it. The enemy had caused Shiloh to be a debacle. He'd caused the ark to be taken by the, the enemy. Uh, it, it, it was not really doing what God intended it to do. The people of God were in the days of the judges, 
leading up to this time, doing what was right in their own eyes. He saw Saul start well, but then he gave place to iniquity and he gave place to jealousy. So the enemy sees this and he provokes David to number the people. What was wrong with numbering the people? Other kings numbered the people. Other times God commanded the kings to number the people. And God didn't smite them for that. This was because David was finally looking and he was thinking, you know what God gave me to be, I'm now going to abandon. And I'm going to be something. You know, even when I want to move the ark, I'm not going to do it in the Levitical way. I'm going to build a new cart with big wheels and I'm going to move it in a triumphant fashion, just like all the other people in the world would do. And this was David really abandoning his roots and what he was called to be. You know, iniquity will do that. You know, injustice, poor little old me syndrome, they're keeping me down, they've been misusing me, will do that. And you'll see people start shedding what God has called them to be and to do. Shedding the anointing God gave them. Shedding the calling God gave them. You know, I can't do that anymore. I'm not getting enough notoriety. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. People will really notice me now. I'm out from under that thing God made me do. Did you ever hear that before? Probably hearing it now. And this was David. And Satan stood up to influence that. And you know what happened then. Uh, you can read about it. It's not a pretty picture. Uh, how does the enemy provoke? You know, you have the illustration of John, John 13, where um, Judas was um, had concocted this scheme um, where Judas was a zealot, the one who carried the knife, Iscariot. He he followed Jesus because he recognized this is the Messiah, but things were not going the way Judas wanted them to go. You know, he wanted he wanted Rome to be outed, and he 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 devised in his head, if I do this thing in betraying the Lord, then Jesus will be put in a position where he's going to have to rise up. And the religious system will be thrown down and Rome will be put to flight. That was his iniquity. And that was the scheme the enemy got a hold of. Um, and the bitter sop where Jesus had his hand in the bowl with Satan, with, with, with Judas and Satan's plan. Judas could have turned right then. He chose not to. Satan took control of that agenda. And Jesus said, what you do, do quickly. It was Judas's mindset that Israel had been done wrong. And if I don't do something, it's going to not get any better. Take matters into my own hands. How do you know this, Pastor Ron? Well, as soon as it happened, Judas recognized what he'd done he was overcome with remorse at his foul actions. He tried to return the money and undo the deal. 
that wasn't working. And he went and hung himself. And they bought the potter's field with, or the, they bought this field um, with the blood money. That's injustice. That's you taking matters into your own hands. It'll all work out good. The ends will justify the means. Acts 5.3 The Holy Ghost had given a prophetic word to the people. This was not a communist system. That they were all going to be able to contribute philanthropically to the needs of this burgeoning new thing called the church. And um, Ananias and Sapphira thought, well, you know, we want to still be seen as people that are doing great, but we're going we're gonna to say we're giving everything, but we're not giving everything. Now, the idea that everybody gave up everything they had in true uh, Marxist fashion is baloney. I mean, that's not what happened. That's not what God was saying. But people were giving out of abundance. And Peter calls out Ananias and says, Why did Satan fill your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost to keep back part of the price of the land? The essence here is Ananias could have brought what he brought and just said, This is what I'm bringing. I feel led to do this. And everybody would have said, Great. And the Holy Ghost would have been delighted with that but that's not what Ananias was doing he wanted to to give so he'd be noticed and do you ever know somebody like that have you ever been around somebody that does something and you know there's a hidden agenda behind it yeah I'm going to do this but then I, re I expect this from you that's a quid pro quo if there ever was one but it's a one sided deal and if you don't do it, when expectation does not meet, when your expectation does not manifest itself in reality, then you feel, oh, that person did wrong. When that person didn't even know anything about your scheme and why you were doing what you were doing. Oh, my goodness, that happens all the time. And then they feel, oh, I'm just, they, don't wreck, they don't respect me. I've done all this and look. They bypassed me. Well, whoever said that if you did this, you'd get this position? You said that. I didn't say that. You said that. You have all smiles and you come and give. You say it's from the Lord. But yet in your heart, there is a, there is a scheme there. That's satanic. That's the enemy. Now, if Ananias had come and said, all right, my wife and I talked about it. This is what we feel right about doing. Nobody, nobody would have said anything. But he lied to gain advantage. He, they would have still been wealthy. They would have still had plenty of money. So it's not like they gave everything they had. Or at least they, it's not like they said they were giving everything they have. It was a part of the price of land. And so Satan stood up trying to muck up the work to inject that kind of thing into the early church. And it was a lie before the Holy Ghost. And Ananias bit the dust. Soon his wife came in 
boom, she's gone too. People think, oh, why did God do that? Well, he didn't want the enemy getting a wedge in there. And, you know, it's like Achan. The people, the people of Israel were kicking it and taking names. They had all kinds of riches that they had re received when they came out of Egypt. They didn't have any, they didn't have the Champs-Élysées to spend it in, so they still had the money. They still had it all. So well, there was no reason for Achan to take that gold and the good, goodly Babylonian garment. There was no reason for him to do that. So why did, why did he have to be stoned? Because God wanted obedience. And obedience is different for each person. Now, yeah, n nobody gets to obey half. That's not what I'm saying. But God's not going to ask you to do the exact same thing that he's asking this person to do. When he asks for fasting, everybody needs to participate when you're under a measure of, of, of divinely ordained authority. But that's going to be different for everybody. And um, because it's under the Lord. Um, now, sometimes we all have to do the same thing. And if you're not willing to do it, just come out and say it. But don't say you're doing it and do something else. See, this is all enemy-driven. And um, we see that. Let's look at another time. 1 Corinthians 7, 5. We're not going to go into all the details of this, but for those of you who are mature and wise, you can see it. Defraud you not one another, except it be with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again, that Satan does not tempt you for your incontinency. And this is a krates. This is a kratos. And what it really means is that if God is telling you and you're in agreement with your spouse that we're going to honor the Lord in this way for this time. Both of you agree to it. Don't get fast and loose at the end of the time on one end and make the other one think, wait a second, we, we obeyed the Lord, now why are you doing this? We've already flattened the curve, why are you extending it? You know? And then the enemy can get in there and create a challenge in the midst of something you were giving to the Lord. You know, I try here to be very careful about what kinds of fasts I I proclaim as a leader. I want to make sure it's from God and don't want to overdo it just because I think, hey, I think it'd be a good time for fasting. God calls the fast. But if there's somebody in my church who says, well, you know what, I know you're saying this, but I don't feel I'm supposed to do it. Well, I would question, why are you here? Why You're not really in harmony with authority. You're acting on some kind of, a, of an injustice in your heart. And you can say it's the enemy. You could say you're fighting the enemy. But I would say, why is the enemy there? He sniffs that out like blood in the water for a shark. And you can dress it up with all kinds of piety and, you know, you know, the enemy's been after me, but I'm standing against him. Well, the reason he's after you is you don't want to do what you're supposed to do. Either get with God or get out. Don't play games with it. 
See, this is what the enemy does. This is what the enemy does. And so the last one in how the enemy provokes is 2 Corinthians 2, verse 11. Lest Satan should gain an advantage over us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Satan, again, specifically identified, an advantage is an overreach or covetousness. There's always something that the enemy will try to provoke you to do or not do based upon something that you feel you want. Well, you know, God said this, but I think I could do this and a little bit more. The enemy gains an advantage. Satan gets an advantage. So we have to be careful of this. Now, the essence of the enemy's strategy, as I said, is to only show up when it's absolutely needed. And this is shown in Revelation 12, 12. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you that dwell in them. Woe in the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has but a short time. Ologos Kairos. He sees at this juncture that he must take a, or he feels he must take a stand. He sees a Kairos opportunity and he exerts his oligos, that oligarchy of his rule and authority. So he comes down in what he feels he is in a Kairos moment to take a stand and to do whatever he can to hinder to occlude, to stop what it is that God is doing. I think we're in one of those moments now. This is not the end, but it's sure, surely showing the enemy trying to stop a strategic juncture in what God has ordained. He's not going to be able to do it, but yet you see when the enemy comes in, one way he flees in seven. When the enemy comes in, like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord raises up a standard against him. And what was intended for evil... God turns for the good. You intended this for wickedness, but God has turned it for good. You always see that pattern. So we see the enemy in his ugliness now. We have to guard ourselves. We have to guard ourselves because he's coming after if he can get away into your injustice, your, your iniquity. He'll fuel it in there and you will think you are rising up finally to do what you've needed to do for a long time. Well, it's not going to turn out well if you do that. Um, another instance of Ahmad, and that's taking a stand again with the enemy. Psalm 109, verses 1 through 6. Do not hold your peace, O God, of my praise, for the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful are opened against me, They've spoken against me with a lying tongue. They compassed me about also with words of hatred and fought against me without a cause. For my love, they are my adversaries, but I give myself to prayer. And they have rewarded me evil for good and hatred for my love. Set thou a wicked man over them, and let Satan stand, Ahmad, at his right hand. Interesting. Zechariah 3, 1-2 
He showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing, Ahmad, at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now some people get confused by this. What was happening here? God in his timetable said through Zerubbabel, through Zechariah, for Joshua the high priest, for that initial mobilization, for the repopulating of Jerusalem to happen. The walls were going to have to be secured. Now, this was the beginning point. So Satan stands against it. And how does God rebuke him? Well, we know that Yahweh means the plan of God. And what God speaks to Satan about, just like when Jesus was quoting the word to Satan, Jesus is the living word. So, was is confused? No. Are there two or three gods here? No. God was saying to the enemy, it is written, this is my plan, and my plan rebukes you. You're standing at the right hand trying to resist Joshua? Well, my plan rebuke you. This is going on whether you like it or not, whether you are resisting it or not. This guy, yeah, he has filthy garments, but you're not going to be able to manipulate any of them. Because I'm going to, if they resist you, I'm going to give them new garments, which is what happened. But the enemy stands there at the right hand, attempting to resist. In the New Testament, Matthew 12, verse 26, Jesus said, If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? Stand. Here it's histeme. So, how Satan's kingdom operates in the histeme is he does not divide himself and he does not cast himself out. Now, you can look at it, then turn it. Satan is going to come to divide, if he can, and he is going to manifest himself. He's, he's going to try to chart this course. So, again, Jesus describes the enemy kingdom as operating from a stand. Thankfully, the cross has given us power and authority, the legal right to move as sons and to take a stand in the histeme. And when we've done all to stand, we stand therefore. The enemy is also trying to influence that stand and the way he will try is to provoke you so watch yourself your filthy garments God knows about them he'll give you clean garments don't you start griping and complaining about the filthy garments you know at the same time God is speaking about the fast of feasting in this same book of Zechariah you get that wickedness, you get that bitterness out of you. I'm tired of hearing it. You were called to move with the Lord of hosts. So do that. Now Jesus also described in the stand of the enemy in the book of Revelation the fact that Satan has synagogues, he has a house, he has a throne. And in Thyatira it says that Satan has introduced Jezebel or a virgin dedicated to Baal or Beelzebub through doctrines of devils 
and the bathos of his mysteries. We're seeing that all over the world today. <clears throat> People are moving as Jezebels. They're, they're prophesying the doctrines of devils. They're prophesying false doctrine. They're prophesying um, what Beelzebub wants those, in those histemi points that you're assigned. Just like Saul, you either overcome there, it's going to overcome you. Some people who let the enemy in, they became what that wicked histeme was. You see them wanting to separate from authority. You see them wanting to set their own parameters. They want every vestige of authority deconstructed and torn down and burned away. And... Um, we're doing it because we have injustices, or we say we do. And um, you see people overcome with that esteme. And that's what the enemy always does. So we must really be careful today. We're going to know a great victory, but we cannot be ignorant to the enemy's devices. Matthew 16, verse 23, this famous passage Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an, an offense unto me. You're not savoring the things that be of God, but those that be in men. Peter did not want Jesus to talk about going to Jerusalem and giving his life, which is kind of goofy. It's the same thing that, um, it's the same thing that Satan always does. If Jesus is going to do a thing, if there's a crux point, a crucial point, the enemy will be there, and he will try to get the situation turned. So Peter's rebuking the Lord, and Jesus speaks to Satan and says, Get thee behind me, which is opiso, which is where we get our word opposite. You are doing the opposite of what I'm supposed to do. So I identify that, and I'm not going to partner with that. This is an offense. Satan comes. God wants to do a thing. Satan comes. He wants you doing the opposite of what God wants. And, and he will try to use the weightiness within you against you, to throw you, to wrestle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but of principalities and powers. You should not be allowing that wrestling to go on in you. You should not be allowing wickedness and injustice and, and iniquity to be throwing you around. Because if you do, you're never going to be able to vanquish principalities and powers. You know, Jesus uh, gave the parable of those that came to him and said, You know, we cast out devils and we prophesied in your name. And Jesus said, Depart, you workers of iniquity. You let iniquity come in you. You... I, I never was able to know you because you held on to that nonsense. Can people move in the anointing and give place to injustice and, and iniquity within them? Of course they can. The enemy is still moving in the false anointing that he maligned the anointing that God gave him from the very beginning. And he's filled with injustice. He's filled with this. Are those people born again? Well, only God judges that. 
Only God judges that. I'm not going to go down that trail. That's a, that's a rabbit trail. So don't ask me about something that, as Mueller said, is out of my purview. It's not my purview. This really isn't in my purview. But I do know that they're, do they need to be delivered? See, that's another thing. See, these people were demonized. Jesus never said that. Read what it says. Their iniquities were there. You know, the greatest deliverance you'll ever have is you delivering yourself from bowing down your knee to your iniquities. The enemy doesn't have enough demons to fill every person you think is demonized. Why does he need to come in there when all he has to do is nudge you a little bit and you're, oh, poor me, you know, they just don't know me, uh, you know, off you go. Good. He spun you like a top. You'll spin there for a little while. You'll get dizzy and stop. You'll get repented and then you'll come back and that same iniquity is there. So Peter wasn't possessed. We don't see Jesus casting out the devil, do we? No, he directs what was going on. He starts talking to Satan. He said, okay, here you are. I've just said I'm going to Jerusalem. You don't want that to happen. You never have. And you tried to negotiate with me to stop me from doing it. You're opposite of what I'm doing, so I identify that. This is an offense. And he tells Satan and Peter, it's time for you to savor the things that are of God and stop going after the things that you should not allow to be within you. The Bible says in Mark 4, verse 15, the seeds that came by the wayside where the Logos was sown, when they've heard Satan comes immediately and takes away the Logos that was sown in their hearts. This is eutheo immediately, you to theme. He does not want this word to be taking root. The Logos, the plan of God. So he will resist that. Now, he's not there at every corner trying to stop you. But his kingdom tries to stop you. And demons will try to stop you. And principalities that have control in regions, currently have control in regions, will try to stop you. People will try to stop you. But that's the enemy agenda. If the Logos is being brought forth, that's when he stands and stop, tries to stop. Um, this story in Luke 13 of the, uh, the daughter of Abraham that for 18 years had been bow, bowed together, that must have been a terrible sight. Jesus heals the woman and he says that Satan has bound, Deo, her these 18 years, and she needs to be loosed on the Sabbath day. There's a lot going on here. He's talking about the Sabbath. He's talking about what the Sabbath is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be a religious thing. It's not supposed to be a bunch of rules and regulations. It's supposed to be a time when people in the seventh day, sons, are communing with God, getting ready to go forth in the new. And so Jesus speaks about the Sabbath, and um, he wants people to be free from the binding of the enemy and so that they can move forward as sons, this daughter of Abraham. She can walk in faith. There's a lot in that story. How'd this woman first get bound up? Well, 
we we're already at an hour but the essence of this is iniquity and um it's like when Jesus talked to the woman who came to him in the coast of Tyre. She had the little girl that was possessed. And Jesus with the crumbs falling from the master's table. What was that all about? Something had gone on in that family long ago that welcomed the enemy in. Just like when the Mount of Transfiguration, there were unclean spirits at the base through that little boy that was demonized. And the father's weeping and the crowd are just going gaga. And, you know, they're faulting the nine disciples who, who couldn't do anything because of their iniquity, Jesus said. And he asked, when, how long has this been there? Well, Jesus knew. He wanted the man to confess it. Of a child, something happened then. They're not trying to put people in fear. But the point is, is that this is always the way the enemy moves. When Paul spoke in 2 Corinthians 12, he was talking about the abundance of revelations and visions that were given him. It's his story about my grace is sufficient. We've taught about that a lot. This messenger of Satan, not Satan himself, but a messenger from Satan came to stop him and to stop the move of the word. Last, we still have three to go. We're going to go over time. I won't charge any extra. <laughs> Um, see, you can listen on Spotify and hear this double time or even time and a half, whatever you need. 1 Thessalonians 2, 17. Uh, we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once again. But Satan hindered us. This is interesting, and I wonder if this is not what we're dealing with in some degree right now. I think all of these illustrations, I, I know the enemy has come to try to stop this year of wisdom. He's not going to do it. Not going to do it. But he's trying, and, and in some ways he's succeeding. What does this hindered mean? It's the word ekopto, and, and it's a very interesting word because it can mean to hinder, to be tedious. It can mean um, to impede by breaking up the road or placing an obstacle in the path or detaining or um, uh, cutting things up, uh, repulsing, to, um, to bring about low standards of conduct. Well, we're seeing the enemy do all kinds of things like that. We don't know exactly what Satan did to try to stop the progression of the gospel message at this time. But Paul says this is what happened. What do you do when those kinds of things happen? You don't woe is me. You look for the redeeming of the time. You look for the table that God has prepared in the presence of the enemy. In the valley of the shadow of death, you don't fear because you're with God. You're following after his will. This is an interesting verse. You need to contemplate it a little more. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 8 and 9, before this. Oh, or next, actually, in the next epistle. <clears throat> then the man of lawlessness, lawlessness, we see in any of that today, will be revealed. How's the Lord going to consume this? This lawlessness with the spirit of his mouth, the breath of his mouth 
and the brightness of his coming. Those are our two weapons. We need to believe for them. Even him whose coming is moving this man of lawlessness in the energy of Satan with power, signs, lying wonders. Do you ever see any lies being told right now? You see demonstrations of power and you think, how are they doing that? You see signs and things that you perceive and see and you think, I never thought I'd see that. The man of lawlessness moves through the energy of Satan, through injustice, perceived injustice. And instead of overcoming, there is a destruction. Instead of overcoming evil with good, there's trying to overcome perceived injustice with evil. This is the enemy strategy. And boy, is it an encupto. But we will overcome. We've made it to the last verse. Wow. Read this. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 13 through 15. False apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. No marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also are transformed as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. What in the world is this? And what is that big word there that is used for uh, a transforming? Well, you can look it up. Um, I think some of the best ways to identify this is by seeing the words that we actually see. Um, and um, you see in that word schematic, don't you? You see um, meta, me, do this word, meta schematizo. Bless you. <laughs> meta schematizo. That's to, to become, um, to become something that is according to a scheme, to become something that is in accordance with a scheme. You see any schemes the enemy is putting forth? Do you see any of those? My goodness, it's yes, it's it's a new thing, uh, and it's it's a transforming thing to change in fashion or appearance, but. Um, Really, this scheme is, is the main thing. It's, um, it's to fashion a certain thing, usually to deceive um, the scheme of the enemy. We're not ignorant of, ignorant of his devices. The schemes of the enemy. If somebody comes to try to deceive somebody, they'll have a scheme. They have an agenda. And they, they get it to where people are just following that, like the matador's cape. And they run after it. They just see red. And they think that they've awakened to some brilliant understanding, but it's really the scheme. This metaschemazo, you can look at it, is found five times in the New Testament, always by Paul. And it means to change the form. It means to transform the outer form to, uh, in, a, in a negative way, to pretend to be something that's really not there, to be hypocritical, to deceive somebody. Uh, 
Uh, and this is why false apostles, dishonest workers, Satan's henchmen, aren't those the people that, uh, that, uh, <laughs> no, that was Satan's little helpers that Jack Black, res uh, that Jack Black wrestled, but Satan's henchmen. Um, th th this transformation uh, is, is, is really going on. There is a narrative. It is, it, it's almost, it's funny because you see it everywhere. You see one word spoken, and before you know it, everybody in the media, within the next minute or two, is saying the same words. You see the, uh, the Bill Barr uh, grilling that happened last week, the Attorney General of the United States. How many times did you say, reclaim, here, reclaiming my time? Reclaim, I'm reclaiming my time. Called here f for you to, to explain things, but we don't. it's a hearing, but we don't want to hear you. I'm reclaiming my time. You see these same catchphrases over and over again. It's a scheme, and it's orchestrated. This lawlessness is orchestrated by Satan. You have to see that, and you have to remember. Think of these things, and I'm going to end with this. Number one, Satan is showing up right now in this energy to stop in an attempt to block what it is that God has said he's going to do. Know this. Secondly, don't give yourself over to injustice and don't give yourself over to iniquities within you. Stay on course. Because essentially what that will do, it will pit you against other people and essentially it will pit you against God, which is the enemy's desire. Don't be provoked by the enemy. Overcome him. Guard yourself. And as we pray as saints, we hold fast to what God has told us we're going to redeem this time don't lose out now some of you you may not go out and rebel but you may shut down which is also the main thing the enemy wants to do he does not want you functioning as a son he hates that more than anything he hates God but he hates that plan that's, his, that's the onus of his injustice within him the evil hates you so if he can get you to think god's abandoned me i just can't be with my friends anymore we're not even have seminar in dallas this time oh woe is me what's gonna happen oh why 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 god how can you do this do you ever be around somebody that says they're a christian as soon as something goes wrong they start holding their fist up to god how did you let this happen god blah, 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 blah. Don't do that. Stand your ground. Move in the power of the Almighty. And I said I was going to finish. I don't want anybody to get triggered with an iniquity because I lied to you. I'm finished. <laughs> Stand your ground. Be that son God's called you to be. And Satan will be defeated. And everything God's promised in this year and beyond will happen we declare the blood of jesus over this message and over everybody who hears it and i come against the enemy who would try to do any kind of retaliatory or retributive act we declare the victory of the lord and we declare our allegiance and our pledge to our god and we declare it all in jesus name amen 
God bless. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for giving me these extra few minutes. God bless and goodbye.